Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to Sam's Business Growth Show. I am delighted to be joined by Owen Richards today. Owen is the founder of both Air Marketing and Roots to Market, as well as a director of Wellity, which is three businesses focused on elevating performance within the sales industry. In his day job as managing director of Air Marketing, one of the fastest growing and highest performing outsourced sales agencies within Europe, Owen has led his sales team from zero to 2 million in annual recurring revenue in the first 2.5 years from their launch back in 2016. Uh, Using innovative and proven business development strategies, Air Marketing has now delivered successful sales development on top of funnel campaigns for the likes of Funding Circle, Sales Confidence, Eon, and many other fast-growing firms. In 2019, they generated an excess of 100 million in pipeline and 25 million on closed annual recurring revenue for their client base. Owen has 15 years experience in delivering delivering and executing B2B sales and go-to marketing strategies for clients across multiple industries and a proven track record of rapidly driving business expansion and revenue growth within highly competitive industries. Owen, wow, that's an intro. How are you doing, man? (laughs) What a mouthful. I'm well, thank you. I reckon a salesperson wrote that, didn't they? (laughs) There's a chance. There's a chance indeed. (laughs) So yeah, looking forward to having a chat, my friend. Good to be here. There's a few main things you want to learn, really. So we'd love to learn your story. So I know there's a, a few nuggets in there. I, I, I can see from your LinkedIn profile, you've been in music management, you've been in teaching, you've been in sales, and of course, you started your own several successful businesses. So it's going to be exciting to go through all that and the lessons learned along the way. Um, then we want to learn some of your top marketing strategies. So in terms of both offline marketing and some of the digital channels that you guys have had success with. Mm-hmm. how you've been able to grow air marketing to, to the big level that it is now. And yeah, that's pretty much it, man. So if we could start from the top, learn a bit more about yourself, where you grew up and how you got into the business world. Yeah, happy to. Okay, so how I grew up and where I grew up. I grew up in Kent originally, um, moved to okay. London in my late teens. Um, and uh, I have to say I had a very normal upbringing. I love, I'd love to have one of those stories in some ways, you know, came from nothing, all that sort of stuff. But I, I had a, a normal 2.4 children, um, working middle class upbringing. Um, I, um, I, I went to a, an all boys grammar school, uh, which was great fun. Bucking the trend in my family on that front from uh, typical, you know, uh, comprehensive backgrounds. Um, love my sports. Absolutely love my sports. Super competitive at everything I did. Nice. Good to I'm a real, a real generalist, I suppose, in so much as I was probably never the best at anything. Um, but, you know, I was a good sports person playing at county level. I was good at, you know, I was good at music. I enjoyed music. Oh, nice. I what enjoyed sports my- were you playing, man? So I played football um, and basketball at either regional or county level. Um, oh, awesome. Okay. And cool. then I played cricket and rugby and every sport under the sun. In fact, I remember a time when I think it was at the beginning of GCSEs where my father had to sit me down and say, okay, you've got to pick three sports now. Um, and I was, yeah, I used to sprint for county as well and, and, and still very proud of my 100 meter records. So I, you know, I had to go, right, okay, let's seg- segment it down and just kind of work out which ones I actually enjoy most and 
football, sure. basketball and athletics came out and won at that point. But um, if I could play sport every day, I still would. That's the reality. 36 years old this year and still trying to run around a football pitch with 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds uh, and that sort of stuff. So I'll keep dude, going as long mean, as I can. Yeah, I'm approaching 30 and I'm still footballing, well, three, four days a week. Not right now because it's still locked down, but I can't wait for it yeah. to, to get back and get stuck in. Cool. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Excellent. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's it really. Normal, normal life. Went off to university at 18. Uh, went to University of Roehampton in, in Southwest London. Had a great three or four years there. I said three or four years. Um, I, I'm one of those typical people who really didn't know what to do with life. Um, really did, didn't know what to do. I went to university um, and absolutely lived it up from a lifestyle perspective. The biggest thing I got out of university was um, was life experience. Um, yeah. I studied Which English. And, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I studied English and, um, and theatre studies. Why? Because I liked music. I liked theatre. Um, and I wanted to do, so, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where to go. And I enjoyed those sub- subjects at school. That was it. You know, there was no real intention behind it. Um, I'm one of those classic people who probably had the worst attendance record ever going at university, did what I needed to to get by, did my essays the night before, usually in the uni bar. So I'd love to say, you know, I'm hugely <laughs> academic and, um, but, you know, I, I got by um, and I've always uh, I've always been able to do that well enough. But I had a great time, learned, made some great friends, um, learned a huge amount of life skills. Um, and I think in, in university years was when I realized that I had leadership skills um, and that I had very good relationship skills with people and, and good with a, a range of different people from, from different backgrounds. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about myself in those those three or four years. And I always say three or four years because I graduated in three. Um, but I actually ended up living with my friends who were students um, when I, the year after I graduated while I was working out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. So I ended up basically being a student anyway, because I was out on student nights out and all that sort of stuff. So uh, uh, yeah, it was, I call it my fourth year at university. I wasn't years good fun I was by just the sounds of the it. Bit. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Best year. So um, just before we move on, you said you built up some leadership skills when you're in uni. Um, mm, how, how do you, how did you do that? And what, tell us a bit more about that. Owen. I think it's sport again. So I, I, um, I was made captain of the the university team um, in my second year, so which was very unusual because normally it would be you know the, the last year, so third year, um, and I never really, uh, I guess I never really thought about it before, and I've never seen myself as a as a as a leader, but I've always had a big mouth, um, <laughs> I've always been confident, um, and I've never been afraid to, to to speak my mind, and I think just in that group of people, uh, um, I guess I realized, you know, and, and the people who made the decision, who were the, the leaving captain and the leaving manager, um, made the decision to to give me the, the captainship from the, the second year. And, um, and and that was, you know, it was a bit of an honor. It was, you know, it was a very unusual thing in those times, but that was when I kind of realized, oh, hang on a second. Um, and I really took to that and I really enjoyed the, the, the sense of responsibility. I took it very seriously. And, uh, you know, people were pretty complimentary about the, the, the way that I led that team a lot of the time. And I think that's when I realised, oh, hang on a second. Um, I, I, I don't know why I'm a good leader, but I seem to be able to, to, to be effective at doing it. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've, you know, I've explored that and I've developed that and I've, I've worked on trying to be the best leader I can in, in whatever environment I'm in. Great stuff, man. OK, so a lot of, lot of leadership skills in terms of sports and um a few years at uni so what was next what was the first role that took place yeah so um 
so you talked about the music um, and the teaching thing, and there's there's a, there's a story behind that. So one of the things I've always been is fairly entrepreneurial, and I think when you when you think about those typical stories of entrepreneurs, you know, they were selling sweets at the age of eight in primary school and making business. I wasn't quite there, but at university, I certainly got down to that route. So there are there are three very random. I'll call them jobs because they weren't necessarily career uh, directions that, that I had throughout that period. One was um, instead of working, I had a job in the uni bar and I loved it. I'm not sure how much work I did though. Um, <laughs> but I also was offered the chance to, um, to over the summer work uh, in a security role. And I realized that working in security, you got much higher pay than working through, through a bar. So I ended up getting what's called your SIA license and working on the doors in London. Bear in mind, I'm five foot 10 and slim. Um, I was working on the doors in Putney and Fulham at the age of 19 and 20. But that was an experience. Slim. Yeah, it was quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting experience. But you know what? I was earning twice as much as I would have been in that bar behind the bar. Um, so there, there, there was that, that job. Great experience. Had to adapt to a completely different environment. Um, but was very good at uh, very good at settling down the uh, the fights rather than uh, rather than fueling them. So um, that was a really good life experience. But the, the, the music management piece is um, important because I enjoy music. I have, um, you know, I, I, I have a talent with uh, musical talent. I'm by no means an exceptional musician, but, um, but I enjoy music and uh, I can sing, although I haven't done it for a long, long time. And so I ended up working in a, in a music studio. And then uh, that organization were um, involved with helping young and up, upcoming art, artists establish themselves, helping them to develop the music and write the music, help them to produce it and help them to promote them. So um, I worked in that industry throughout the last couple of years at university part-time and then um, for a year after university. Um, and, and I enjoyed it a lot, but it's a horrible industry, a really horrible industry, not what where I wanted yeah. to be. Uh, I just think, it, the, the, talk about authenticity in sales, um, there is no authenticity in that music. And it's very, in that industry, it's very much a case of you are either it or you're not. You know, there's nothing, there's no middle ground. There's no mm, progression. Okay. You know, there's no career progression. You're either, everybody's striving for the same thing. It's dog eat dog. Um, and, you know, you're either doing doing it because you love it and earning no money. And, you know, it's not, it's not a career. It's a job that um, means you still have to go and work elsewhere or you are, you've absolutely made it. And I just, I didn't enjoy working with people who were so hell-bent on becoming famous, so to speak, that, that, that they perhaps were letting life go past them um, or were, you know, were, were perhaps disingenuous with some of the stuff that was coming out. So I just, it, was, it didn't feel right. I love the music side of it, um, but it certainly wasn't a career for me. Um, and then when I moved to Australia, having done some, some theatre studies and drama within my degree, uh, I looked for a part-time job. I went over traveling to Australia in 2007 with my wife. Um, nice man. Ran out of money really quickly. And I got two, two part-time jobs. One was okay. a telemarketing job, a sales job. Yep. Um, and one was as a drama and music teacher for, for after-school clubs for primary, primary age children. So um, my parents are both teachers. Um, so I come from a teaching background. My wife's parents have both been teachers um so we've got teaching in the family um i've always been good with children enjoyed um enjoyed working with children um and i've done that a bit in the past as well so yeah we um so are you I, doing I those both at the same time part-time selling part-time teaching so i'd sell in the morning and then go and get on the bus oh, wow. go to the school and do after after school class so it was three sort of three o'clock till five o'clock um and we had a, a music and a a drama teacher and we they do a, what, an hour one and an hour the other or something you know i can't remember the exact times but 
Um, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Again, um, genuinely nearly ended up in a career in, in working with children because uh, it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, but I'm too money driven for starters. You know, I, I'm typical, typical salesperson. I wanted to earn money and I knew that wasn't a possibility there. And I had the, 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 the voices of my parents saying, do not get into teaching. Um, yeah, in I mean, ears, so. I've never, I don't know anyone personally. Well, my, my cousin's wife is a teacher, but I've always mm. thought it, it sounds like a lot of hard work for not necessarily that much money. Not that I know much too much about it. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm sure the temptation of sales is a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know what, there were moments, I, I remember applying for a job with the council in Australia when I was doing these part-time roles. It was a full-time role working with um, working with children who had learning and behavioural difficulties. Um, and again, using arts as a, as, a, as a therapy and a way of them learning. And I, I got down to the last two people in that job. Had I got that job, I didn't. Um, had I got that job, I would probably still be working with children today. I would have taken a completely different career path. Wow. Okay. Um, but like many people in sales, you fall into it, don't you? And um, it's no different for me. I, I was working that sales role over in Oz and um, the opportunity for, to turn that into something came before an opportunity and anything else. And, um, and I, I took it and I made the most of it. And the rest is history in terms of sales. Got it. Okay. So before we move ahead, skip ahead, are there any lessons that you could share with us perhaps that you picked up in business in terms of the teaching um, perhaps ones we might have missed in terms of the music or when you were being a bouncer, by the sounds of it as well. <laughs> Do you know the bouncer one is probably the biggest one. So, you know, it's just not something I ever would have thought that, um, that I would have done. I saw an opportunity to earn more money over the summer. As I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driven by I'm very money driven. I will, you know, not so much now, but I was then. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought, why not? Um, the, the, yeah, communication for me was the key there. So working alongside, you know, some oafs, let's put it that way. Some nice guys, <laughs> good fun, but they were there because some muscular guys, guys, some big guys. Yeah, yeah. They could look after themselves and they enjoyed the, the, they enjoyed the tension and they enjoyed that process. And you could see them looking for the opportunity. You know, you could see them looking for the opportunity to throw somebody out. Yeah. Um, I, 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 particularly the regulars, and I used to work, work in a bar called Lou Hanna's in Putney. I don't think it's called that anymore. I think it was sold. But um, the regulars knew me and had a really good relationship because I worked there every Friday and Saturday night. And, um, you know, we, we would chat away and I had their respect. So, you know, we knew what they got up to. You, you know, you knew the people that came in and... Um, and liked to do the wrong thing and you'd uh, quite <laughs> chat with them on the way in you could see the signs and you know I, I i there was only ever once in the in the space of probably a year that i worked at that bar where anything became physical um and uh yeah i ran away and let the big guys deal with it basically but the rest of the time the ability to diffuse tension through building yeah you know, through good communication you know, being respectful of people, all that sort of stuff. And, and I think that the biggest lesson there is that it doesn't matter what you do and where you work, um, what your profession is, the ability to communicate well with people, the ability to not, uh, to not react to things and to think through the way that you, uh, you interact is, is critical to being successful. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably the, the, that, the most yeah. unusual lesson that you would hear. That's a really good lesson. I mean, like you say, mm. communication is so key in sales, yeah. in business in general being able to talk to your prospects, being able to communicate in a way that resonates with them and um, mm. being able to talk to your existing customers and build up the relationships with them. So that's really cool. 
and it's quite an unusual way of, of finding that. Were there any um, any stories, any situations where it got pretty heated and you managed to calm people down that, of course, have got to be suitable for, for the yeah, show? Yeah, of course. I, 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 yeah, there is one, and I always tell this one. Um, so I worked on The Doors in London on the 31st of, I think it was July, June or July in 2007, when uh, smoking became illegal indoors. Um, so on the Friday night, it was legal. And on the Saturday night, it wasn't legal. That was the most challenging night of my life in terms of that that role because people didn't take it seriously. You know, it was just it was just another day. I was doing it yesterday. Why is it not okay today? And the amount of negotiation skills I learned that night with trying to get people to to take it seriously. Um, and of course, I guess it's you know relating it back to the business world that we're in now. It was a bit like when GDPR came in. You know, from that date, GDPR yeah, exists. Yeah. No one really understands it. No one's, think, you know, everyone's worried about what it all looked like. That was a strange um, time, was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and it, it was no different. It was kind of, are you serious? We really can't do, do this. No, you definitely can't do it. You know, all the rest of it. And people being sarcastic and, oh, you're a bit of a job's worth and all that kind of stuff. But of course, we had our employer's um, liability um, on the line and a responsibility to do the right thing and to abide with the law. And um, we had a job to do. So that was, yeah, that was probably the most, dramatic night and hard work I've put into a, 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 a shift of work for a long, long time. But um, yeah. tough night, yeah. but, but interesting. Some great stories there. I love that. Um, it's funny you should mention GDPR. It feels like that year, I can't remember the exact year that it came out, um, mm. but it feels like for that year, everything was really tightened because like yourself, I was working in a marketing agency and we were selling data lists, yeah. um, leads, all this kind of stuff. So and it was, yeah, like you said, everything flipped in the space of a day but then it felt like about a year later companies weren't taking it seriously anymore and everything changed everyone mm. was ripping uh, data off linkedin or wherever they could and yeah. just blasting yeah. out emails blasting out cold calls and everyone had forgotten about it about you um, yeah and i think it was the interpretation of it as well i think like everything it had to bed in and, and work itself out i mean we we when we looked at gdpr i don't want to talk about gdpr too long because yeah. we, we're, we're past that period but when we looked at gdpr when it first saw we announced that it was going to happen we looked at our processes and went, you know what, we do that stuff anyway. You know, we're, we're, yeah. we, we, we're, we're ethical in the way that we work. We have good, good documentation of processes. So for us, it wasn't really a big deal. A couple of tweaks and changes, that's about it. Um, but I think like everything, it's when they, same as when they brought in the regulations in the financial industry, it got rid of the people doing the wrong thing and it, it segmented professionals from the rest of the market. So yep. if anything, yep. for, for a lot of people, it was, a, it, was a, it was an opportunity and that's the way that we chose to see it. Like it. So for anyone that's not in Europe that's tuning in, GDPR basically stands for General Data Protection Regulation Act, I believe, (laughs) um, which is in short all about having um, prospects consent to being contacted you. Um, And we'll leave it at that. So moving forward. um, Okay, so we've done the bouncing career. We've done the music. We've done the teaching. You got into sales and then you progressed full time into that. Owen, or what what was happening next? Yeah, so... um... Cut a long story short, I was on the on in a telesales role, working for a small telemarketing agency in Australia, um, and uh, I uh, I was on a working holiday visa over in Australia. My boss went away for a week, and maybe it was two, I can't remember. Um, and in short, a lot of the, the, the his PA was off sick uh, in that week, and no, we we're a very young company, less than a year old at that point in time. I think there were about eight or nine of us in the office, and. Um, that leadership piece came out in me so nobody really knew where to turn the boss isn't here you know it's very much a small uh, small owner-led business it's PA is not here who would normally be the backup what do we do um, and I stepped up that week and looked after a couple, fought a couple of fires and kind of worked out solutions to things that I perhaps didn't know what I was doing with 
Um, and, uh, and and when, when he got back from holiday, because I was on a temporary working holiday visa, we were going home in three or four months. I decided to go and ask for a pay rise. I thought, do you know what? I've done a pretty good job there. I'm going to go and ask for a pay rise. So off I go and, you know, build up the confidence at the age of 23 or whatever I was to ask for a pay rise. And I said, look, you know, I think I deserve a pay rise. Without me last week, you'd have had some real issues. Um, and, and, you know, I think you know, I've, I've, I've added a lot of value. Um, I was probably chancing my luck a bit, to be perfectly <laughs> frank. Um, and he said, and I said, you know, there's no problem. Is there's no other way you can reward me because you can't promote me. Um, so I think it's probably the only way. And he said, well, why can't I promote you? And I said, well, I'm going home in three or four months. And he said, well, do you, do you have to go home? Um, and suddenly I thought, well, yeah, I've only got a visa until that point. Well, what if we could get you a visa for longer? Anyway, that conversation ended up with us looking at, um, at, at options for that. And I was sponsored by that organization to take a sales management role, to take a, take a sales team leader role, I suppose. So I headed up the, the sales team. Um, and at the time that I took that role in, in 2008, um, we had sort of 12 people, something like that. Um, by the time I left that organization um, as head of sales and operations, um, so effectively ran the, 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 the big chunks of the entire operation there, we had well over 100 people. Um, wow, okay. Great journey, loved it. You know, we ran outsourced sales campaign. We went from a telemarketing company, a very, very raw paper-based telemarketing company without a website when I joined through to being you know, the leading outsourced sales organization in Australia. Um, and, you know, worked with some, some amazing organizations, run some really successful programs over there, generated fantastic ROI for our clients. And I learned a hell of a lot in that eight years. Um, and, you know, progressed my career from being a 23 year old who had no idea what to do with their life, no idea where to go, um, and sort of stumbled into sales to, um, I always knew my strength was in people, but and I knew I could sell as well. But it, you know, you don't—I didn't know that was what I wanted to do. To um, to, to to running a, a team of departmental managers with a team of hundred people across two businesses, um, and uh, you know, and 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 having a great time and and learning a lot, working with some amazing clients, and growing a great culture over there as well. So you know, I learned awesome. a lot. So that's that's some huge growth going from twelve mm. staff to a hundred. So talk us through a bit more. Uh, this was over the space of eight years, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, talk, yeah. Us, talk us through some of the processes you put in place to, to see that growth in what is reasonably a pretty short space of time. Yeah. I, you know what? It, it's funny. There was some real, I, I can break it into chapters that eight years. See, yeah. sort of the, 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 the bits that happened. So chapter one was you know, very raw. We had bits of paper and we used to highlight based on the outcome of the call. So not interested yes, they're going to book an appointment with our client or call back another day. We'd have a highlighter and highlight a different color. And these bits of paper would get churned around the office and people would argue, argue over what bit of paper they wanted. And when we got a CRM. Yeah, 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 it was a brilliant CRM, I have to say. It worked every day. That's the important thing. Yeah. Um, but we, um, we, we had some interesting moments. Like uh, when we got a, a meeting for somebody, one of our clients, we would handwrite it on a bit of paper and fax it to them. I mean, we're going back a while, but I think we were a long way behind the time. Then. <laughs> um, so I had I had an easy starting point to make some improvements with for starters, which is which is great. Um, then we developed our own CRM system. Um, so we adopted technology. We looked at everything off the shelf. We decided we could build something. We wanted to build something. We made a big investment in that. And that was when we started to become a business, um, you know, rather than rather than sort of some people in the room with a phone that used to, to, to make some sales calls and hope that it would work. And we started to develop our skill set. Um, 
And I remember we had a business coach who walked in and the first thing he said, how much you charge? And at the time we charged $45 an hour. It's about 20 quid an hour, I think, in those days on the exchange rate. And um, he, he convinced us to put that rate up to $60, pounds, uh, $60 an hour. So you know, a, a 30% or 33% hike on pricing overnight. And suddenly you then there's pressure on value and all those sorts of things. Then we moved office. Then we won a couple of really big accounts and we started to win accounts with people like Adobe and that sort of stuff. And you could see us professionalizing again and going another level. Um, and then we started to hire people at a management level from externally. And so we okay. brought in a yeah. commercial, uh, commercial manager who was brilliant, um, challenged us, got us thinking differently. Again, matured us instead of systems, in terms of systems and processes. So just before we move on, Owen, yeah. this is something I like to ask business owners like yourself. Have you got any tips or insights for hiring the best sales professionals? Because we've all been there. Um, I don't know if you have, but I certainly have in terms of taking yeah. on sales staff. They do the interview. They absolutely smash it. They sound great on paper. They say, yep, we've closed all these big deals. We're brilliant mm. at managing clients. We're going to go in from day one, hit the ground running, yeah. start closing new business. Two, three months down the line, they've barely closed anything. They're turning up late. There's no real motivation. So, yeah. yeah, have you got any any tips or secrets for for people on hiring the hiring decent salespeople? Yeah, yeah, I have. So, um, th- there are three things that I focus on. One is hire. You know, I think your point there is you know cutting through the BS in the nicest possible way. So, hire yeah. on personality. Get to know the person. So, I would not hire a, certainly a senior salesperson within our team without doing something social with them. So, if I give an example, we hired a sales manager recently. And we took all the team leaders who would report to her and we, we threw them in an escape room together. And then we went for a drink after and that kind of stuff. And I tell you what, if you're stuck in a room together for an hour in a, an uncomfortable environment, with people you don't know, um, you, can't, you, you, you can't stay and roll for that long in that environment because you don't know what's coming at you. That's a great idea. Whereas in an interview environment, you know the questions, you've pre- prepared for them. Yep. So I think shift it up and try to get to know the person and, and understand their personality. And I find the best way to do that is to do something unexpected. So I like questions. I heard, I can't remember who I heard this question from, but ever since I've heard it a few years back, I've stuck to it, which was tell me 10 things that you need to develop. Um, because usually we prepare for an interview and we go in and go, so what are the things that you, you need to develop or what are your areas for improvement or what, tell me about one of your weaknesses is the, t- the typical question. And people prepare sure. one thing. They might prepare two, but they don't prepare 10. And when you actually stop and think, you say, I need 10 and challenge them and get them thinking, be amazed that the people that can't do it, won't do it. Uh, and then the others that will go, so do you know what? That I'd really, I'd really like to be better. And they'll just go through it. And you can kind of get that sense that you can trust them. They're open. You know, they've got the right kind of qualities. And, and you can tell a lot from the way that people are, answer those questions that they're not expecting to get, that maybe get them to get out of their rehearsed um, actor mode and into their real real self mode. Um, Love so, that. Yeah, I gave, gave an example of a lady we interviewed recently. Um, who just refused, effectively refused to answer that question, just couldn't do it. And so if you're going to get challenged by clients to talk about negatives or your team want to talk about negatives or I've got to have conflict, whatever it might be in work, how are you going to handle that? Um, so so that's, that's one for sure. Um, the, other, uh, the other for me is about chucking them in the environment. So uh, always get people to do a component of the job before you give them a job. So, you know, for our... our, our um, SDR or, or, or inside sales roles, they get in, they sit with people on the phones, we get them making calls as part of the interview process. And my view on that is, why wouldn't you want to see it? If you're going to yeah. come here every day, week in, week out for years, 
why wouldn't you want to go and sit in the office with the people you're going to work with, get to know them a bit, see what the job looks like, see what the CRM that you're going to use looks like, see what the processes look like and make sure they're right for you. Um, so that's the second. And the third is always try and talk them out of it. So is it, it, when we're interviewing, we're selling the role, yes, but once you've sold it and you've got their buy-in, try and sell them out of it. Because I, I always think if you try and convince somebody that it's wrong for them and they've convinced themselves it's right, you get yeah. to do that. If you don't tell them the bad bits, if you try and tell them everything's perfect, it, it, you're destined to fail. And recruitment for me is as much about qualifying out the people that won't be right as it is finding the people or selling to the people who, who, who are right for you. Love that. The old negative reverse sell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sell it, sell the idea and then pull it away from them and see what Definitely. <laughs> love it. Awesome. No, that's, that's really good. I, lo- I love the first point as well. 10 ways um, how they can develop themselves. Mm. Like you say, a lot of interview questions are pretty generic and yeah. people usually rehearse and they just hammer them through, but that really gets mm. them thinking. Yeah, and, challenge them, challenge them. Yeah. What are 10 things you're not good at? And just watch people's reaction. They panic straight away, but it's how they react after that panic because that's in it. sales, we're under pressure and we're put on the spot. That's it. And you can prepare for a presentation, a demo, a meeting as much as you want. But at the end of the day, the, the prospect or the customer is going to throw that out the window probably a couple of minutes in, as yeah, we all know. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Sales calls never go how you expect them. No, um, no, exactly. <laughs> cool. Okay, so back to growing that business. So you built the custom CRM, you ramped up the prices, things started to go mm. well, you're hiring. Um, and then what was, what was happening? So I think we've won a couple of larger projects. Um, we, um, we developed much better systems and processes around that CRM um, and, and, and started to sort of explore sale tech and things like that. So we went away from traditional just telemarketing and top of funnel lead gen and got into some full cycle sales campaigns. Um, we also won some projects around sort of inbound customer service um, and, and, and in, inbound lead, lead inquiries, uh, inquiry handling. Um, and that sort of stuff as well. Um, and I think really, we're still a small business in Australia um, and, and you know, similar sort of size today. Um, and there's still a lot of growing up and maturing to do in that business. But I think we, 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 we kind of learned step by step and it was self-taught. I was a, a, you know, using an analogy of learning to, to play the guitar. You can either go and have somebody teach you or you can learn yourself. Um, and, and, you know, I think learning yourself has a huge amount of values um, or, or valuable insight there because you really get to understand how something works. Um, so that we, we, we went through the challenge of hiring managers for the first time. Um, we made mistakes around promoting people into the wrong role. So we made that, that classic error of, oh, that's a really good salesperson. Let's put them into a management role or let's put them into an account management role because we've got a gap there. Um, and we, we went through many iterations of structure in terms of, what do the account management roles look like? How do we look after our clients? What kind of reporting are we giving them? All that sort of stuff. Um, and went from, yeah, absolutely nothing at the beginning through to some fairly uh, innovative and rigorous reporting processes and people processes. Um, but I think the thing I'm most proud about is the culture that we built over there. Um, it's something that, that, that is, has always, always been a key part of my own success is just the buy-in we, we get from people, the, the environment we give um, or provide and the way that we look after people, but also the way that we manage them, the way that we drive them, um, improved over time. And that has always been, for me, the key driver for the success of that business in, in Australia and then carried into the UK business as well. Awesome. Okay, man. Well, that's, that's been really interesting to learn in terms of how you built that. Was, was air marketing the next step, taking building your own business? Yeah, yes and no. There was a step in the okay. middle. So um, when I moved back to the UK, I, I gave Richard, my, my now business partner, my old boss in Australia, 
um, almost a year's notice, we decided to do a year of summer, a year in Australia, yeah, summer in Australia, and then come back to summer in the UK. Very different summers, I would, would add. Um, and uh, so lots of prep time. And we talked about launching um, FMG, the Australian business in the UK. Um, and I decided not to do it for a couple of reasons. One was that um, we, we didn't really know where we wanted to live in the UK. We just need, knew that it was the right time for us to come home. Um, and I'd, I'd done that for eight years. I wanted to have a go at something different. I wanted to see what else was out there. So I took a, um, a business development director or sales director role at a, a small recruitment firm in London, um, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot of great guys there. Um, and uh, I worked there, but we, we realized that London wasn't right for us. I think the calling of starting my own business was always there. I always knew that that was something. And I was very open that that was something I wanted to do. I didn't expect to get that urge as soon as I did and we had our first child and my wife wanted to be closer to her family so it's a it was a, a, a year um, chapter of my life that I wouldn't change um, I don't think I was in the right industry I don't think it was right for me um, and I learned something there um, I think I added some value but nowhere near as much recruitment's tough right tough sector and look I wasn't recruiting I was setting up a new business department in that ah, okay. Firm. okay um and, and I guess contributing strategically and commercially to that because the two guys running it, fantastic, um, fantastic people, brilliant recruiters, smart people, but they wanted to take the business to the next level um, and they wanted to bring somebody in who could contribute strategically. And, and you know what? I, in hindsight, I probably didn't have the impact I wanted to in that business. Um, but hopefully, I, you know, I certainly think I added some value, but I learned a lot about myself. Um, and it was, it, was, it was the right move at the time and I don't regret it. And what I did learn for me was that other environments work in different ways so I work I learned about a different setting because I think when you do the same thing in the same industry for eight years and bearing in mind I joined that organization in my early 20s and left him at 30 years old you know it, it, it's you only know one way so I got a lot of value out of learning from other people working with other people working with other industries even selling into different decision makers within businesses that I would normally sell into um, was a learning curve for me so yeah, I did that. And then we had our first little one, moved, moved down to Exeter. And I launched Air in February 2016. Nice, man. Okay, so a little bit of a, a change of scenery in London and then and back to Exeter and starting mm. the business. So talk us a bit through about how Air Marketing was formed. Talk us through the early days. Was it hard work? Were you hitting the phones yourself from day one? Or did you have a yes. sales team? Or were you working <laughs> no. from a loft like I've done before? Or yeah, let's, let's learn the nitty gritty of how you built it up. Yeah, sure. So um, I knew about six months into working with this, this firm in London, I knew that my, my wife was pregnant. I knew she wanted to move away from London. I knew we'd moved to London and it didn't feel right. Um, and I also was the, the, the calling of wanting to start my own thing was there. So um, I was on holiday in maybe probably four or five months after I started there. And I started writing a business plan just while I was sat by the pool. Um, and I knew it wasn't an immediate thing, but I knew that I, you could just see, I could sense it was coming and slowly but surely that com conversation developed. Um, and I got in touch maybe two, three months after that with Richard, my boss in Australia. And I said, listen, I, I, I think I need to do my own thing. I know the time is going to come. I'm thinking, you know, Amy's going to want to move to, to, to Exeter. I can't see how I'm going to push against that one. Um, and, uh, you know, can we have a conversation about it? And we, we, we started that conversation and, um, and it developed over a period of time. And the answer to your question about you know, somebody's loft, it wasn't somebody's loft. I rented somebody's meeting room. So um, a, a friend of mine who's now a friend of mine owns a co-working space in Exeter. 
Um, and all of his tenants were really annoyed when they had no meeting room for three weeks because I managed to convince him to let me have it for three weeks. Um, and I set up three laptops or computers in that um, and had myself in the middle of the room on, with a laptop on my on my thing and just hired people and we all went hard on the phones. Um, so yeah, I did do that kind of, you know, not quite a kitchen table or a loft, but I will get out of the house, find a space, hire a few people and go. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the lucky thing I had is that we are 75% replication of Australia. So I'd been so heavily involved in that business. I kind of knew what worked and what didn't work. So, um, you know, that, that experience was invaluable in launching. Yeah. I knew how to win clients. I knew the formula for doing that. I knew what clients, you know, okay, UK and Australia are slightly different markets, but I knew what clients wanted in that sales process. I knew, I knew, you know, I knew what they want, looked for in a proposal. Um, I knew what the sales process needed to look like. You know, I knew what channels would get inquiries for us. Um, and in answer to your one of your questions, you, you put into to there was it hard? Yeah, it was bloody hard, but hardest work, work of my life that year. So my first child was born in December, beginning of February. I started there as the sole employee for three weeks working from home, and then I hired three part-time people. And for three weeks, we went in this meeting room, and I had three weeks before I got the keys to an office that would fit about fifteen people in it. And I had to find work and I had to find work quickly. And in that time, I got food poisoning. So I, none oh, of the guys man. knew, but I had to work through food poisoning because, oh. of course, these guys didn't know what they were doing. I, you'll know this from your recent experience of having had your first child, but I wasn't sleeping. I certainly was probably on three, four hours a night. And That's I didn't yeah. sleep, trust me. Um, and the stress was there. And in that year, I grew there. Um, I think we did 300 and something thousand pounds in our first 12 months. So it wasn't, you know, it's not it, by no, bear in mind, this was not a business that had a huge investment. We were bootstrapping it. Um, but we went hard. We went really hard. And I got every bug going, every illness, because high levels of stress, long hours, everything falls to you, no sleep at home, young child, building a website, middle of the night, kid in the arm, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, the, the hardest year I, I pushed myself to the limit. Um, and I was, uh, yeah, I was so run down, so stressed. That's tough. Yeah, not, it's not, good though for a first I achieved year. a hell of a lot and I'm really proud of it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't I'd still say, not yeah, I mean, considering it was bootstrapped and from scratch, it's, I'd say a pretty decent first year. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. was that all cold, pure cold calling or did you have a few clients from your last company to bring on board or was it a mix or? um a couple the australia and uk link where worked a little bit we brought a couple of clients on from us and that, that helped um nice. but it wasn't a key strategy for us and often intercontinental uh european works europe america works but the time zones in australia and the uk a lot of the time they don't know each other so we were effectively starting from scratch a little bit um so my two major uh was well, three major channels um and my my this is my advice i give to people who are starting a business that want to grow it quickly um, one is get a digital strategy that works. So PPC was my direct strategy. Um, yes, SEO is important. Yes, LinkedIn is important, all that sort of stuff. But for me, um, I knew that if I spent money on PPC, it would drive leads and I was confident in closing those leads into sales. So yes, it's, sometimes it's more a more expensive way of winning clients, but I could put more budget into it and it was predictable and I knew the metrics. So I turned PPC on from day one. And I handled those leads and I treated them like they were the, the only person I was ever going to sell to with every single one of them. Um, I went to every single networking event I could possibly go to in and around the area. Um, okay. I, I don't enjoy it necessarily. Um, but I, for me, it was the single biggest strategy for winning new clients. Because, again, that communication thing, good at building relationships. I made friends who ran other businesses. 
I went for coffees with people afterwards. You know, I, I really worked hard in those events to build relationships with people, you know, show loads of interest in their business and, and, and ask lots of good questions. And slowly but surely, I started to get the phone ringing, people going, oh, actually, I didn't realize that there was a company that could do this around, could we have a chat? Um, and we convert, you know, referrals and things from networking events where you've got a personal connection, we, we convert at such a high percentage into business. So that was a key strategy. And the third was this, that and LinkedIn, to be fair, direct outreach into every, and I started local or with people in my network who were friends of friends, that kind of stuff. And I just went, can I buy you a coffee? And it was literally, you know, I didn't overly qualify opportunities. I wasn't worried about that. I was just trying to build my network in, in the UK, trying to get in front of people, trying to practice the pitch, trying to see what people like, what they didn't like. Um, and those three things got me out of, you know, out of the office. And I spent all day, every day out with people, talking to people, growing my network and, and uncovering opportunities. Um, yeah. No, those three things worked. Really interesting. I'm glad that it sounds like there's a nice mix, really. So you had some, mm. some digital with the paid ads, getting the fast leads coming in. And like you say, yeah. you handed those inbound leads like gold dust. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into it too much, but the amount of company, I've said this on previous episodes, the amount of companies I, I see or I've worked with or worked as part of that have had an inbound lead and just left it for a day or two and then called it. It's like, what are you doing and i'm sure you'd be with me when you say you need to get on them within five minutes yeah get on um, them straight day away. or night yeah i mean we you know the statistics about the the first person they speak to is is I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head but it's a very high percentage that they buy from the first That's person it. to speak to and you get the opportunity to shape what questions they ask the next supplier as well um and you can plant you can plant a lot of seeds in that point so yeah it's critical get on to them quickly be the first to answer the phone 100% agreed. Um, and then you mentioned networking, which I'm most the same as you. You said you weren't too comfortable with it. But mm. I think in business, you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you've got to do things that are outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you're not going to progress at the rate you want to. Um, I remember years back, I used to do networking events. I probably might be the same chamber as you. It was the Somerset one. I don't know if that's the same mm. one. Um, I remember I, I closed one or two website deals, but it got to the stage where I was just, I hated the awkward conversations. So LinkedIn, luckily, started ramping up at that stage. Yeah, so I could invest yeah. more time on LinkedIn, building my network that way. And I didn't have to do face-to-face because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm built for inside sales, not outside. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's funny because actually um, you can make yourself good at networking. I, I don't enjoy that awkward conversation at the beginning of things, but I actually quite like people. Um and uh, uh but 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 i swear by it honestly if you if you're growing a business and you don't have a network in the area and that sort of stuff and now now our clients are typically nationals and internationals so in exeter we probably haven't got a lot of those that we can go and network with so we tend to get into events in london and that sort of stuff and we've got we've got a presence in london now so it's a different type of networking but in those days those were our clients and we need you know we we, we, we grew in that market and we earned the right to be doing the, the bigger stuff and um, it w- was truly invaluable, but more importantly, I grew a referral network because I built genuine relationships with people, and those people became a sales force for us. So, you know, e- referrals is 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 the single greatest strategy to grow a business. Do a good job for people, get people to like what you do, whether they're customers or not, or suppliers or just friends, business friends, I call them. You know, where they, where you know their business, they know yours, and they will drive referrals into your business because you've got a good reputation and. Um, and you know i think that we've we've done a good job of that and it's consistently worked for our business uh we get as many referrals from our clients as we do from people that have never used us before business friends i love that term. Mm. i'm gonna start yeah, using it yeah i got loads of them you know i would never i wouldn't necessarily phone them on a sunday and say do you fancy a beer to watch the football <laughs> i probably would enjoy doing it with them yeah but we haven't got past that point but 
I would absolutely go for a beer with them during the workday and talk to them about some of the frustrations in my business and get their input on it and vice versa. So, yeah, the, 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 the business friends. Good. It's a great term. And then, hmm. yeah, so paid ads, networking, building up referrals, business friends, and then we've got the cold outreach. Yeah. Um, so yeah. tell us a bit more about, because I know now you've got some real big clients, like we said in mm. your intro, Funding Circle, Sales Confidence, Eon, just to yeah. name a few. Yeah. Well, those landed from cold outreach. Tell us a bit more about your strategy with that, Owen, in terms of were you just kind of sourcing compliant data, then calling it, or were you researching it? Were you pulling it from LinkedIn, a CRM? Um, and tell us a bit more about how you've been able to land some big, big hitting clients. Yeah, it's varied. Um, and I think to this day, I'm a big believer in um, spreading your eggs and, and, and yeah, all strategies need to work to some degree. Um, so uh, I, I won't I won't pretend like all of those were outbound uh, opportunities. They, they absolutely weren't. Um, if I look at Funding Circle, I've told this story a lot. So Funding Circle I, ha, have been our single biggest spender with us as a business since we launched. Um, and I actually lost that deal. So first time round, they inquired with us in 2016, about three months after I started the business. Um, and we've become really good friends with them. We're, we're, a, we're a critical component of their business. Um, we do a lot of work with them. Um, and we've made, yeah, we, we, we've, we've been very successful together. But when they first inquired with us, they, we got down to the last two. Okay. Um, and I had seven staff and they wanted a project where they needed it to ramp up to 15 full-time people, 12 or 15 full-time people. And actually, when they made the decision to not use us, the, the, the guy at Funding Circle, Aiden, said to me, I really like you. I actually would, you know, would prefer to work with you. But commercially, we just can't take the risk of working with a brand new startup. who has got no maturity process. You know, we know you've got the Australian operation, but you're a separate organization. And um, that's a sister company. And ultimately, we need to scale and we've got to have confidence mm. in scaling. So I lost that deal and I was devastated because it would have really defined the business. In hindsight, it was brilliant because I wouldn't have been able to deliver on it. And that's the reality. Nowhere near the way that we did. And for 12 months, I stayed in his ear. And what I did was become uh, business friends with him. That's the very, there you go. We, we, we chatted and Love I it. said to him, when you use this other agency, if you want a second opinion on something, because he really liked the way that we thought and liked liked the way that um the, the way that i thought about the process um and we probably did a better job of, of that sales process but it was just the credibility behind that and he did he pulled me up on things he phoned me up and say look the agency i think you're talking about this that, and that what do you think about these numbers what do you think about those metrics and i was just honest with him i told them i told, said they're doing a really good job with that i think that's brilliant so i wasn't slating the work they were doing um i was just giving him honest outside opinion and uh one day i got a phone call saying I think we're ready to do a benchmarking exercise and I went ah, good so we did it and uh, at the end of that three-month exercise um, we we were on the phone and he said he said I'm not sure what we're going to do after these three months it's been a big good test you know the metrics said come here there we you know some good things and bad things we need to look at it and then I got a phone call on a Friday night I was driving to holiday and he said Owen, I've got X amount of budget that I need to spend. It was September between now and Christmas. I need 15 full-time heads on this. We had three at the time. And I had a staff, staff load of about 14, 15 people. And he said, we need 15 full-time people on this between now and Christmas. How much of that do you want? And I put the phone down and I phoned my business partner and I phoned him back and I said, I'll have all of it. <laughs> yeah, right. we, we ended up coming back and saying, no, look, we'll have X percent, 10 percent, <laughs> whatever it is, because I think we, we realized that we needed to be sensible with it. And yeah. I doubled my business overnight in terms of people. You know, within a month, I had 15 new employees and we grew massively. Um, that lead came in through PPC originally. So if oh, anyone ever awesome. says PPC is expensive, they spent, they've spent, I would say hundreds of thousands, but I think it's probably in the millions now uh, with us um, since then. 
Um, on the other hand, some of the big deals have come through relationships. So we've won a, a big deal with a, an advertising firm. That's somebody who's a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, and my friend knows somebody, referred somebody to me. They became a client, small client for us. And then that person referred us through to another one. Um, and I think on the most part, most of our big deals have come through referrals and uh, relationships. Outbound has been really strong for us for what I call run rate revenue. So we know the formula and that we will win X amount per, per quarter of clients through Outbound. And we know, we know that that's going to perform. If we win a big deal out of it, it's a bonus. Um, but typically big deals come from that immediate need. And, you know, you've got to really be, in it, be, be lucky to get that or you've got to nurture them for long periods of time. So, yeah. No, it's, fair uh, enough. Do you guys tend to do, with your cold outreach, do you tend to do that more for your existing customers, existing clients, or do you also have a team that do that to prospect and find new clients to then do campaigns We for? do it for ourselves as well. So we do both. Nice. Um, but I think, you know, it's like webs- yeah, often you see website companies who, who, who the last website they look at updating regularly is theirs. So I think the, um, the cold outreach part of our business often gets... Uh, it's a bit set and forget at times so it often gets left behind because we're so focused on getting it right for our clients that it gets far less attention than it should and that's something we want to fix this year so it performs and we get a return from it but it definitely hasn't been our highest performing channel and look I think the fact that we don't do cold breach doesn't mean that I I, um, suffer from full gladly thinking it's the most cost-effective strategy it's scalable it's predictable um, and we know it works and it's consistent if done well but it should never be your sole strategy for going to market for any business, even a business that does that as a living. So refreshing to hear that. Um, as you say, a multi-channel approach is, is the one, mm, um, ideally where your, where your customers are on and the amount of people on LinkedIn that just yep. are still hammering saying, yep. oh, we're only doing cold calling and all this stuff. It's a load of BS, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, just, you're just hampering your growth. Yeah, yeah you've, <laughs> got, you've got, you know, out, cold outreach, cold calling particularly, probably has the highest cost per acquisition across most sectors but the difference is it's scalable right so i can load another person on and they can do the same thing and another person on can get mm. the same metrics Good point. whereas ppc has to be, ppc has had diminishing returns for us so as our budget goes up the market gets more competitive the cost per click gets higher That's you know true. the cost of a phone call and a conversation and a conversion is only impacted really by market trends but also by the person making that calls if you're using the same messaging across the same target market the t- same data set you have the same skilled salesperson, they get a very similar result and then you can just scale and it's predictable growth. Um, within digital, it doesn't always work like that. There's a cap at some point. So, um, you know, it, it is not the most cost effective way to win clients. And I accept that, but it's controllable, it's scalable and you can, you, you can make it work quickly. Um, whereas, you know, SEO as a strategy is great, but it does, you don't get on to page one of Google overnight. You know, it takes time to get there. So That's it, yeah, six months or so. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Okay, awesome. So um, we've covered some fantastic ground so far, but for anyone tuning in that's just started their own company or that is mm. thinking of taking the plunge and starting their own business, have you got any golden nuggets or a few tips that could help them out to perhaps reduce their stress a little bit less than your first year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, have. I think the first and most important thing is is is, is emphasizing that point. Look after yourself um, because there is a temp- temptation and it depends on your personality. So I am hugely competitive, hugely ambitious, hugely driven. 
Um, and my sole priority was I'm going to make this work and I'm going to and I'm going to grow this business as quickly as I can. So I probably, you know, I probably killed myself a bit more than the, the average person in that first year. And I don't think everybody has that mindset. But if you do and if you are going to go hard, be careful, you know, do look after yourself because, um, you know, I would say, you know, particularly sales career. But, you know, entrepreneurism, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and you can get caught up in that LinkedIn journey of looking at everybody else's success and thinking, well, I need to get there tomorrow. And actually, you know what, half of it is, you know, BS, I'll use that phrase again. And, um, you know, probably it, more it, than it, half, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's noise and you should ignore that and focus on what you're doing. And my view was, um, and, and in hindsight, I wish I'd have done more of this, but I tried to remind myself is that it's one day at a time. Every day is a step closer to where you want to be. So long as you keep the same, you know, you keep doing the right things and you keep focused on it, you'll get there. Um, and not sort of putting that pressure on yourself to be the same as somebody else tomorrow. Um, and I think I did that too much in hindsight. So um, there's that. And the other thing is I put on 10 kilos. So, you know, my personal fitness, um, and, and that of course impacts on mental fitness as well, was horrendous and not getting sleep and all the rest of it. Um, and I had alarm bells a year and a half, two years ago, where I went, geez, I put on some weight and I'm not as healthy as I used to be. And I don't sleep as well and all that sort of stuff. So look after your physical fitness, um, whatever it is you enjoy doing, swimming, running, walking, whatever. You know, don't, don't drop that for anything. You know, that is so critical to your, to your mental, mental and physical health. Um, so in terms of that, you know, that personal well-being side of things, um, it's important. And that's why, you know, Little plug. That's why we started Wellity, you know, which is a, a, a business that's focused on physical and mental well-being within the sales industry. So as an industry, we are terrible. We sit behind a desk all day, every day. So true. We go to events and we drink too much. We stay up late. We burn the candle at both ends. You know, we are we, we, there's peer, peer pressure to be the last at the bar at the event in the evening. Um, and then there's pressure every month to perform and you're back to zero the next month. And next that's quarter. it, isn't it? With, with both business, especially people in sales, mm. because it's such high pressure and you put such pressure on yourself. Yeah. Um, at the end of the month, you kind of want to celebrate, don't you? I certainly do. Or at the end of yeah. the week, if I've had yeah. a good week, you want to burn off steam, you want to have a few beers, you want to perhaps have a nice meal with your friends or your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in turn, that's going to have an effect on your health. And mm. yeah, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, like you say. So it it's, it's a tricky one at times. It is. And you know what? It's an industry where, you know, it's traditionally male dominated and, and it's alpha male driven. It's kind of, you know, get the, you know, get the, get the beers out and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's about time that we grew up as an industry and we acknowledge that, um, again, sales career is a marathon. You, if you're genuinely going to build a career in sales, you might be doing it for 30 or 40 years and being the best overnight and sacrificing your personal well-being for that is not acceptable and, and, and you will burn out. And, you know, I, I think for me, it's, 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 I've shifted my mindset as I've got older and, and, and it is a critical piece. And we're trying to make a change to the industry. We're trying to get people to acknowledge that not only is it physical, physical fitness, but it's okay to say I'm struggling and we call mental health, mental health. The word mental is a problem in itself. You know, it's resilience and we all have resilience. You go and talk to any great entrepreneur or sales leader, they've all had moments where they've struggled throughout their career with what we call mental health, where they've had to be resilient and go through difficult times because something's happened in their personal life or they failed at something in their career or they're just feeling like the world's on top of them. We all have it. Some are better at hiding it than others. And that's the only difference. And we want to normalize that conversation so that it is okay to say, you know, I'm struggling at the moment. I'm under pressure. I'm, I, I am battling and not having to put a front on all the time, which just digs you deeper and digs you deeper. Um, so, like, it, it, you know, that, that personal well-being from a mental health 
and a physical health perspective is critical starting your own business and you know we're talking about the sales industry in Wellity but I think that carries directly into somebody who is an entrepreneur and wants to start a business um my biggest piece of advice go and do it it's the greatest fun you'll ever have fully agreed awesome well Owen I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and everyone you've been tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show where we sit down with business leaders experts and entrepreneurs from around the globe we find out their story how digital marketing has happened along the way and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business Owen, we'd like to ask everyone if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? I love that. That's such a great thing to do. So um, no brainer for me. Richard Forrest, who's my business partner now, um, he's 20, 25 odd years older than me. Um, he's played a, a father figure role, um, been a career mentor for me um, and a real friend as well. Um, I've learned a hell of a lot from him over the years. Uh, and now I'm really proud to say he's my business partner. So, you know, in terms of having a, a huge influence on my career and my life, um, he is well and truly up there. Terrific, man. Owen, tell us a bit more about your companies, um, the best way people can learn more about you and connect yeah. with you. Fine. So um, Air Marketing is my first company um, and we're an outsourced sales business. So we help people grow their business, primarily using the phone cold outreach, prospecting, pipe, pipeline generation, uh, and we help them, uh, I love your phrase, skyrocket, skyrocket sales, but make sure they've got a full pipeline and they're, they're, they're growing revenue. And often we do the thing that their internal sales force doesn't like doing or isn't good at, which is picking up the phone and doing that, 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 that sort of opening doors piece. Um, and we do that within a B2B environment, um, as I said, across, across a lot of sectors. Um, so that's AIR. Uh, Roots to Market, we are um, a sales-led marketing agency, so what we don't do is, um, is marketing for the sake of marketing, but around as outbound sales, cold prospecting, um, we generate marketing qualified leads to feed into that sales team. So very much driven by client demands, still focused on generating sales leads, but using digital marketing. Um, and um, finally, Wellity, which I talked about just a moment ago, which is our new startup this year, which is focused on um, normalizing discussion um, around physical mental well-being within the sales industry. Um, some amazing content on the Wellity website, which is just about to go live this week. Sorry for the plug again. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a marketplace for finding suppliers and uh, of services and products and things like that and discounts for all things well-being, whether that be um, well-being related events i.e sporting events um, or equipment or whether that be life coaching or nutritionist advice or whatever it might be go and find some great discounts and some great suppliers on the Wellity website so three sales related businesses that all work hand in hand um, which is obviously an area I'm very passionate about. Good man and if you haven't yet please do connect with Owen on LinkedIn Owen Richards um, he's putting out some great sales and business related content right now so make sure you do that apart from that Owen thank you sir it's been an absolute pleasure I look forward to speaking again soon. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or Book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.